0: Open your Bible this morning to John chapter 8. If you have a Bible, and I do hope that you do, John chapter 8. Uh, if you do not have a Bible today, uh, please do not feel embarrassed about that. Um, we would love to give you a copy of God's Word. And so if you will go out to the Welcome Center following service today, uh, we would love to give you a copy of God's Word. You can take that home with you. Uh, if you have a device, maybe your phone or a tablet, uh, you can go on our app. Um, North Goodland, B.C., and uh, there is a Bible app within that app as well, and so we want you to be in the Word of God today. If you do not have either of those options, uh, if you're sitting near someone that has a copy of God's Word, I pray that you would look on with them. Uh, John chapter 8, and uh, I just want to ask before we get into the text and uh, kind of where we're going this morning, uh, those kind of songs like we just sang, um, there are some powerful truth in those songs, and uh, but they've got to be more than just a song. Um, I, I don't know if you ever had this happen to you, and I say this often because it happens to me often. Um, you'll be singing a song in church and it'll dawn on you, you're just singing it. Like you're like, wow, what did that just say? Um, there's a lyric in there that said that we welcome Lord Jesus to have his way among us. We, we want him to have his way among us. And that's a, that's a bold prayer if you really think about it. Uh, when you look at the word of God and you find the people that God had his way among them, Um, what their lives looked like at times, Uh, the things that happened to them, both good and bad, Uh, the way in which God dealt with them. Uh, Man, it's a blessing that God would have his way among us. But if you pray that prayer, I guess I would just encourage you to hold on. Um, Because when we pray that prayer and we really mean that sincerely with our heart, God says, okay, fine, then I'm going to have my way among you. And and that means there's going to be some things in your life that got to change. Um, And it's not a legalism legalism thing. It's not a a do this to be saved thing. It's as a follower of Christ, the more we're surrendered to him, Ephesians 5.18, the more we're indwelt with his, not indwelt, but filled with his spirit. We're already indwelt with his spirit at the moment of salvation, but the more we're full of his spirit, which really means not so much we're getting more of the Holy Spirit, but what, the Holy Spirit is getting more of us? Uh, As that's happening in our life, we're going to start realizing, man, God, i got to make some some changes. i got to make some different decisions here. And so as that's happening in our life, and as we're allowing God to have his way among us, uh, I pray that that it's more than a song. Um, I pray that if you're here this morning and and you've been living a week this week that was so, let's just be real, so self-centered, like you thought more about yourself than anyone else this week. You thought about what what mattered to you. You thought about how something inconvenienced you. You thought about how something would better you rather than, God, what would you have me to do this week? God, what would you have me to be focused on this week? God, how can I love my neighbor as myself this week? Uh, We can all have weeks where we get a little too self-centered. We can all fall into that trap. And so if we're going to sing, Lord Jesus, have your way among us, we got to be willing to open up our hearts and say, Lord, I need that today. I need you to refine me. I need you to to strengthen me. And by the way, I'm standing over there singing the same thing, thinking the same thing, guys. I'm thinking, man, God, I need you to redirect me. I need you to me refocus. I need you to make sure that I'm where I need to be uh, because I know I can drift into selfish thinking and kind of self-driven thinking a lot. We can all fall into that. And so as I was singing that song this morning, I just thought, man, God, would you give us a, a genuine reality for that, that we really hunger for you to work among us. And so uh, this morning, as we're looking in John chapter 8 in just a moment, uh, we're kind of following up to last week's message. Last week, uh, we talked about the reality that death brings life. Death brings life. Uh, we re- There's not necessarily a series, per se, just as kind of... I was working through some different texts. I was kind of writing some things down, and and I kind of thought this week, Lord, wh- where else can we go from that idea And so from discovering last week that Jesus Christ died so that we might have life. Jesus Christ died, gave his life on the cross, was buried in a tomb and rose again. Death so that we as followers of Christ could have life eternal. That by putting our faith and trust in Christ alone, we have eternal life never to be lost or taken away. Death. Brings life, and then we talked about it last week that if, if Jesus demonstrated that for us, then we need to imitate that, and we learned that from what Jesus told us when he said that, that we as followers of Christ, we must die to self, die to sin, and die to the ways of this world, so that we could live the life that He has for us. And so we said, well, death brings life. Jesus death and resurrection brings us life. Our dying to self-sin in the ways of the world brings true life, the abundant life. We're not distracted by all this stuff anymore. And this morning, I want to carry this idea on that truly, when death brings freedom, when truth, rather, I'm sorry, when truth brings freedom, when truth brings freedom, and I want to realize something that we can be free today. And it takes the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ to set us free. Truth brings freedom. Truth is thought to be binding and restrictive. But in reality, truth is quite freeing. Truth is quite freeing. We can be free of doubt or worry, free of confusion. Now, yes, the reality is truth is inclusive. There is an aspect of truth that is inclusive. What do I mean by that? Uh, two plus two is? Okay, good. I'm glad some of you knew that. Okay, I'm a little concerned. The answer didn't come quite as quickly as I thought it would. It's okay. We'll keep working on that. Truth, by definition, is inclusive, right? There's, there's this mindset in the world today that we're all on this mountain, and we're all journeying up this mountain, and it doesn't really matter how you get to the top of the mountain. We're all going to get there sooner or later, and that top of the mountain is heaven or paradise, That's not true. And so what happens is people are living in lies and they're not living in the truth of God's word. And so they think they're on their way to this heaven because, well, I'm sincere in my belief. I'm sincere in this. I'm sincere in that. I just believe something. God is love. I'm a good person. All these other mistruths that we tell ourselves. And yes, God is love. But is God love denying his holiness? Denying his righteousness? No, 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 no. God is so loving that he sent his son to die for you. But I can't stand before him in my sin and say, no, you can't condemn me to hell because you're love. See, we have to be careful here that we don't allow even things that are biblical to take us into ways that are unbiblical. See, truth is inclusive. What did Jesus say to the woman at the well? You don't even know what you worship true salvation, true faith comes from the Jews. What's he saying there? The line that produces the Messiah, the Jewish line, that's Jesus Christ. That's where true salvation comes from. But you, Samaritans, you don't even know what you're worshipping. What was he telling? He was giving her a truth claim. It's inclusive. You can't just get there any way you want. He told her, there is no other way. It's me. I'm the way. He says that in John. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's not a truth. He is the truth. And so when you think about this idea of truth being inclusive, that's not a negative. That's not a bad thing because when truth is inclusive, it creates a safety. It creates a comfort. I don't have to fear what could be. I know the truth. I'm not led astray. I know the truth. I'm not misguided or confused. I know the truth. And so I want you to listen to what Jesus says about the power of truth. John chapter 8, and look at verse 31. When truth brings freedom. John chapter 8 and verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, Then the truth shall make you free. You should know the truth. And I want you to focus on something. Where does the truth come from? We say, oh, Jesus. Yes, but how did Jesus communicate the truth to us? What does he say here? He says, and if you continue in my word. Continue my word. What does John 15 said? If you abide in me and my words abide in you. See, Jesus was very clear here. I need you to know the truth because the truth will set you free. How do we discover truth? The truth, well, the truth is in God's word. It's been revealed to us. I don't need some prophet to tell me a new word. I don't need to go to, and I'm not here to make fun of anyone that grew up this way, but I'm not, I don't have to go to a priest and sit in a little box and tell him all my things I did wrong so he can pray for me. No, the truth is that if I put my personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ as a reaction to what he did for me and for you, That I have a relationship with him. And now my sins are washed away. And when I pray, I can pray directly to Jesus Christ. I don't need to go through someone else. He is the mediator between God and man. He is my defense, the Bible says. And so when you think about this idea, Jesus is telling us my words will communicate truth to you. And once you know that truth, the truth will set you free. Jesus said it, therefore I believe it. The truth will set you free. We should immediately desire to ask some questions of this comment. This statement that Jesus makes, we need to ask a couple questions. First, what is the truth we need to know? That would be an important question to ask, right? The truth will set you free. Well, I need to know what truth? What is this truth you're talking about? Because I want to be free, but I can't get free until I know truth. So what's the truth? And then second, what are we being freed from? What's the truth I need to know? And once I know that truth, what am I being freed from? Because last time I checked, I wasn't even in bondage. I mean, many people I've met, people like this, you've met them too, and you're talking about Jesus Christ and what he can do and setting people free, and they'll look at you kind of puzzled, like, I am free. <laughs> I'm not in chains, I'm not in prison. I, I am free. Now, if you know someone who's literally in prison, they may struggle with this less. But when you know someone just living everyday life, they'll tell you, I'm not even in bondage. What are you talking about? What do I need to be saved from? I'm not in danger. I'm, I'm, I'm safe. I'm secure. I have no fear of, of danger or peril. So what is the truth and what am I being freed from? I'm going to ask that we would bow in prayer. I know Greg already prayed for us and, and opened the service that way as well, but, but I want to just pray and ask God to speak to our hearts on this if you'd bow with me. Father, we pray that we would know your truth today. And Father, I know I, that my heart... Uh, desires to be a blessing, and I, I wanna, I wanna share your word, and, and Lord, I pray that the, the words that I communicate, the things that I say will, will give that message across, but Lord, you know me, and, and my brain is finite. Lord, I'm a simple minded man, and, and Lord, I can't comprehend the things that you wanna communicate today, and so I pray that, that I would not get in your way. Uh, that I would not uh, stumble your message, but that you would communicate through your Holy Spirit what we need to hear today, uh, that your words would be um, evident to us. We thank you for your word that you've re- uh, revealed to us, and I pray, Lord, that we'd be students of your word, uh, desiring and hungering to know more and more of what it says so that we can experience greater and greater freedom uh, in this world. And So, Father, again, may you be glorified in all of this, and may you, your message go forth. Um, Father, I pray that we'd be open to you, open hearts and open minds. It's not just an emotional thing. I pray that it would be an intellectual thing, that we would think through these things in a real way. Uh, Father, again, bless now this reading of your word and bless this uh, service to come and continue. May we respond to you in application, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is the truth? Uh, when we look at the context of this passage, and we don't have time to read everything in John chapter 8, but when you look at the context of this passage and the setting of this dialogue, we find a group of Jews who have been living under a heavy and restrictive law. They believed that because they functioned under his, this holy law and they were free, uh, free from guilt, free from sin. Uh, they also believe they had a leg up, if you will, on the Gentiles. Gentiles, just a non-Jewish person. This is any and all non-Jews. Uh, They believe they had an advantage over them because they were descendants of Abraham. We see Abraham, if you've never read the life of Abraham, you have no idea who Abraham is. You didn't grow up in in church, and so you didn't experience a song that still brings tears to my eyes. Not in a good way. Um, The Father Abraham song, I can barely say it without thinking about moving a leg or a foot or an arm or something. Uh, if you've never experienced that, you, you, you have to. You just go home with your wife today. You put the kids somewhere else because you just don't want to embarrass yourself in front of your children this way. You put that on the radio and you just do Father Abraham, just you and your wife. It'd be great. It'd be memories. You'll just love it. Father Abraham is a song that we sing because it talks about the idea of the descendants of Abraham. Jesus is the descendant of Abraham. Who is Abraham? We read about Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. So you can, you can read that on your own. But he is introduced in Genesis 12. And he becomes the founder or the leader of the Jewish people. And so these Jews here thought we have an advantage over these Gentiles because we're descendants of Abraham. Because we're descendants of Abraham, we've been in bondage to no one. It's a pretty interesting statement when you study the The history of the Israelite people, uh, the Hebrews, uh, you find out they're in bondage all the time. (laughs) They're constantly in bondage. They were constantly being taken captive. And yet these Jews said, we've never been in bondage to anyone because we're descendants of Abraham. They were thinking in the physical sense, they were thinking we have this victory over anyone else because we're descendants of Abraham. But Jesus teaches them something that is shocking to their ears. The freedom he is speaking about is freedom from sin not because of their ancestors' righteousness or theirs, not because of Abraham's righteousness or their own perceived righteousness, but because of Christ's righteousness being given, gifted to them through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, that's the truth of Christ. That's the truth that he sets forth, that he is the Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament, that he is the one that came to set us free, not necessarily from physical bondage, but spiritual bondage, from the bondage of sin and shame. I do not in Christ have to feel shame for my sin. I can repent of that sin, receive his grace, and move on in my life. You see, I'm not talking about conviction. Conviction is fine. We all need to feel conviction as followers of Christ when we say or do something we shouldn't do but we don't need to carry that on into a shame where we start beating ourselves up and tearing ourselves down. I'm just a horrible person. No, no, we acknowledge our sin. We repent of our sin, and we believe that Jesus Christ, his grace is for us, not to save us, but also to keep us. See, that's the truth, that he is the one that set us free and desires to set us free from our self-destructive ways. Isn't that powerful that we are the ones that violated his law. We are the ones that turned our back on him. We are the ones that cursed him. And he said, I love you so much, I'm going to send my son to die for you on a cross. I love you so much that I'm going to do everything necessary that all you have to do is believe. Just believe. And what's amazing is there's so many people, and you might be sitting here right now, and you're one of these people, and this is not to mock you or ridicule you. It's just truth. If you're sitting here today and you have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know clearly the message of Christ. You might say, well, I don't know the gospel. I just told you the gospel. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, when you stand before him one day, you cannot plead ignorance. You cannot say, oh, I didn't know. The Bible's pretty clear in Romans. We all know to some degree. And yet here we have the gospel conveyed to us and, and told to us and declared to us, and we say, I just can't believe it. I just can't believe it. In the line, there's a line in Jeff's song when Jeff sang uh, this morning. And it said, Where sin is, there's grace. Where sin is in abounding, man, there's grace that covers that. It doesn't mean sin's okay and we compromise, and no, no, it means when I sin that he has set me free from that if I will repent and turn to him, receive him as my Savior. And as my Savior, I can walk in the newness of life every single day. I want you to listen how Billy Graham explained this truth in his writings. Billy Graham said it this way and said it much better than I ever could. The mark of a true Christian, listen now, the mark of a true Christian is found in his personal relationship to the person of Jesus Christ. Christianity is Christ. Christ is Christianity. I speak reverently when I say that Jesus is more than all his ideas. Jesus is more than his ideas. All that he said was true. but Without him, even the truth would have been powerless. Men know the power of truth, and truth is that which sets men free. Jesus said, I am the truth. Did you hear what he said there? Jesus is so much more than his ideas. And you might say, well, isn't it all one and the same? This is where people say, well, Jesus was just a good teacher, a good prophet, a good person. But listen, if Jesus claimed to be the Son of God and was not the Son of God, he's none of those things. A good prophet doesn't claim to be the Son of God in lie. A good teacher does not teach one thing and live another believing he's the Son of God and lie. Either he was the Son of God, fully God and fully man, come to set us free, or he was nuts. He was like the people that stand out in New York City on the, on the corner screaming, they're Jesus, they're the Messiah. That, it's the same thing. So either he really was the Messiah, or he was insane, believing he was actually the Son of God and not. Billy Graham said it's so true. Even without Christ, his truth would be powerless. So we have been set free by the truth of Christ if you know him as your savior. But I want to take it a step farther because sometimes we think about the gospel and we think about salvation. And we think, okay, I'm saved. I'm good. I've heard that before. Some of us think we've heard it too much. That's a scary thing. Um, I've heard the gospel too much. Don't tell me any more gospel. Be careful there. Um, uh, yes, we need to go deeper in God's word, but man, I am always excited to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm always excited to remember what he did for me and what I didn't deserve Amen. Um, I find Christians that are apathetic of the gospel in their own life or apathetic of sharing the gospel with others. Um, And they won't share the gospel because, well, it's old news to them, so why do I need to tell my neighbor? Uh, Be very careful there. Uh, In an effort to go deeper, you may, in fact, get pretty shallow. Um, And so just be on guard against that. But as we think about this idea of the gospel setting us free, it sets us free to salvation, but now what? Now as we're living this Christian life, as we're living in this world, how do we step further into freedom? I want to walk through some applicational things of this truth and how it sets us free and give you some more truth, I guess I would say it that way, on top of the gospel. You see, we have been set free by the truth. What are we set free to experience and to know? Well, we are set free to know who we are, to know who we are. Isn't that a great blessing of God that he reveals to us who we really are? Uh, in today's day and age, there's a lot of people that want to tell you who you are and make you believe who you are, and it's a lot of just, to be honest, junk. You are not your career. You're not your profession. You're not your position in your home, whether you're a mom or dad or a husband and wife. Uh, you're not just a son to someone or a daughter to someone. Uh, you're not just who you culturally believe yourself to be. You're not just who your finances say you are. And those things do to an aspect give us a form of identity. But you are so much more than that. And I can encourage you with this. Stop robbing yourself of worshiping God for who that he, all that he is by believing you're only simply this or that position or this or that title. I mean, you are so much more than that. And I think that's a problem in our world today is people begin to think they are what their checkbook says they are. They are what their job says they are. They are where they live. And they end up just... Feeling empty because they don't know their true value and their true worth when one of those things or all of those things are taken away. To know who we are, we are created. We are created. Go over to Psalm 139. And I know that many of us know this passage, but Psalm 139. I wanted to go here this morning with us uh, because I love reading this verse. We are created. Psalm 139, verse 14. Psalm 139, look at verse 14 with me. The psalmist writes and says, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knows right well. What does he say there? I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And I know many of us have, we've we've heard this verse, we've put it on Facebook, we've got t-shirts, we've got refrigerator magnets, we've got Bible covers, we've got all these things. Um, Know that you're created by God. Created with purpose. Created by the hand of God. And know this, when we talk about being created and we read this verse. This is not about building us up as much as it is about reflecting worship to him. Hear me now. Even in Christianity, we read verses like this and we go, "Like, yeah, I'm so awesome. I was, I, 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 like somehow it's just us. I, you were okay, but I was fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm awesome. I'm this. And we take that verse and it actually becomes an idolatrous mindset. What does the psalmist start with? I will praise thee. I will praise you because of me being created this way. We've taken it to say, I will praise me because I was made this way. No, no, no. Even in our creation, it's about his glory. Even in our understanding of that we were formed by him, it's about his glory. And when you get wrapped up in thinking it's all about you, man, you will miss out on all that he has for you. And I don't know why or where this turn happened in the church, but I think there's this mindset where even in Christianity it becomes more about this this cultural idea of just building up self and building up self. I mean, I don't need to be built up, I need to build up him, and through that I will be filled. What does John say? John says, No, 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 no. I must decrease and he must increase. You know what happens when I decrease and he increases? I'm filled. I'm blessed. I'm encouraged. It's just like serving. I don't need to be served by everybody, and that's not where I start. I start by serving others, and then I'm blessed in return. And so here, the psalmist writes, and it's okay to know that you were created and to feel joy in that, but I'm just giving you a warning. Your flesh will want to run too far with that and make it all about you. Remember, even in your creation, we praise him. We were formed by, God, by a God With a great purpose and distinction, we cannot fully understand how marvelously we were stitched in our mother's womb. Now, some of you have been in the medical field; some of you have studied this out at the deepest levels. I cannot fathom the wonder of creation. I seriously can't. It's amazing to me. I was blessed to watch both my boys be born, and uh, before it happened, I remember I was in the room, and I had a mindset. I said, "I'm just going to stay up by by Sandra's head. I'm not going to go anywhere south." Okay, I'm saying north. Okay, this is church. We're gonna get real for a minute. Okay. I remember thinking, but you know, any other guys feel this way? You're you're at the head of the bed, right? And you're just your adrenaline's going, and you're looking at your wife, and she's just doing the, doing all this stuff, right? And you're trying to be encouraging. You're like, you got this. Oh yeah, you got home, oh, man. You're awesome. I love you. You're trying to be all like, you know, fire up cheerleader. No joke. Sandra looked at me and said, shut up. Stop talking to me right now. I got a lot of things going on right now, okay? I don't need you with the, you got this. Okay? But I remember, man, there was a moment where the nurse come in and, and get everything, you know, ready, some terms here. And she just said, oh, she said, you got to, you got to come here. And I'm at the head of the bed. That's south. I don't go south. Like, there's a blue, forbidden... No, I don't go south. But I'm telling you guys, it was the most amazing... Man, it was the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. And then you're holding this little person, like, just little fingers, and, and it's just there, and just, you're just wowed. And I've always told people this. It was the coolest thing. They did the little, you know, footprint on the birth certificate. Well, they put it on, your, on my hand, and it was literally that big, you know? And a little imprint there. I didn't wash my hand for a while. It was kind of gross. I know, whatever. But, you know, man, every time I looked down the air, I was like... And then you read these verses, and you're like, how do we think it's any other thing possible than God's wonderful creation? People live in their life thinking they're just the oops of, you know, some evolutionary mix-up. Well, you were some ooze, and then you became a little more of an advanced ooze, and then that ooze became more advanced ooze, and then you somehow crawled up on the land, and then... Arms come out, and legs come out, and then you're up in a tree, and then you're hanging, and then you're walking. Anyone in science is like, that's the most ridiculous explanation of evolution I've ever heard in my life. That When I was sitting in all those classes, I remember thinking, this is ridiculous. I'm not here to mock you. If you believe that, I'm not here to mock you. I'm just I'm trying to point out the humor in it that, look, man, God is a wonderful creator. Why would we rob ourselves of knowing that or rob him of knowing that, that we, we know he created us? Man, It's wonderful. You are a specific, wonderful, unique creation of God. There is no other person on planet Earth, think about this, that's just like you, not one. This is where my wife would say amen doubly because that would be crazy, two Johns in the world. That would just be, hmm, That's. I see that as divine, but whatever. I mean, it's just six or one half the other. When you think about your creation... And it's wonderful. And it's not just what we see on the outside. It goes so much deeper than that. We appreciate beauty in this world, don't we? I mean, I, I love the things that people create. I love the wonder of creation. But I love them when, when a human being can take something and, and make something, create something that they had in their head, that they couldn't put it into words, but they just design it and build it and and do it. Some of you are artists. Some of you can draw things and, and create things, and I'm left in awe. Like, I can come up with those ideas, but from here to the paper, that's a whole different thing, right? Some of you, you know what I'm talking about. You have these beautiful ideas, but you go to somebody, and you're like, hey, listen, I don't know how to make this happen, but can you, and they're like, oh, yeah, 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 and then boom, 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 and it's done, and you're like, that's exactly what I thought. I love seeing creation, but I love seeing people create, too. I want to show you an image um, and this is from uh, York Minster. This is the rose window. So this is a stained glass uh, window. And that's not the, it's kind of a Google image, but I want you to see the detail in the stained glass. This was created. This was somebody formed this. Uh, this is from the Cathedral and Metropolitical Church of St. Peter in York, commonly known as York Minster, it is the, the Cathedral of York, England, and it's one of the largest of its kind in Northern Europe. This window is considered one of the most beautiful works of stained glass in the world. It's amazing when you see the details and the color and the vibrancy. And this doesn't do any, uh, anything for when you see it in real life. And just the light is hitting it and all those things. But you can kind of see the idea of the colors. And, and how about you? But I love seeing stained glass windows You ever been in a church that had the the old kind of antique style stained glass and you see the detail in the the colors? It's wonderful. When you see this and you think, man, that's a beautiful image and just the details and all that's there. But I want you to know that God is so much greater a creator than we are. And I want to show you a second image that I think is even more beautiful than that window. You can go and show that second image. I mean, look at the colors and the detail, and you might say, "What is that?" That is actually uh, kind of a, a half image. If you're looking down at it, not the kind of the spiral image we're used to, but that is if you kind of slice it in half and look at it like you're looking down on your DNA. That is actually an image of the uh, enhanced image of the axis of the DNA double helix. Now think about this. We just saw a window. Somebody spent painstaking hours creating and coming together with. God made this with the forming of his hands. And the Bible says he breathed in the man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. you know your DNA is still considered one of the most complex things on planet Earth? It is so complex. Everything that makes you you is wrapped up in your DNA. And again, remember, there's no one like you. So your DNA is specific to you and you alone. There is no one that has the exact same DNA as you. And God formed you. God created you. I mean, the beauty that you are is not just what we see on the outside. Man, we get so wrapped up in that in today's culture. At the most minute level, you are a wonderful, beautiful creation of God. And I love that our science allows us to understand these things and to see these images, because when I see that, I think about how amazing my God is, the color and the wonder of it all. I want you guys to know this this morning, that you are created with purpose. There is intelligence behind your design and your creation. God is the great creator, and you are wonderfully and fearfully made at the most minute level. But we're not just created. I want you to understand another aspect of truth and how we can know who we are. We're not just created, but we are crowned. We are crowned. You're already in the book of Psalms. Go back to Psalm chapter 8. Go all the way back to the beginning of Psalms. Psalm chapter 8 and verse 5. The psalmist is writing here again, and uh, we're going to actually start in verse 4, give a little context to the mindset of this psalmist. Psalms chapter 8 and verse 4. What is man that thou art mindful of him? That's the human perspective. You ever think that? God, really? Like, I mean, me? Like, you care about me? Like, I know me, and I can do pretty crazy things. I'm not that important in my life. He says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? and the son of man that thou visitest him. Look at verse 5. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Not only are we a creation of God, we are the crowning creation of God. That means after God created all that he spoke into existence, he formed man to the dust of the ground. He said humanity was crowned with his glory crowned with his glory. What does that mean, really? Uh, It means to be surrounded or compassed about. To be surrounded or compassed about. That means that God created you, and then he compassed you about with his glory. He gave you a specific glory, and it reflects his glory. The pulpit commentary, I love the, uh, the illustration they give here and the comments they give here. The public commentary says this about God's crowning of mankind. And by so doing, by giving him a nature but a little short of the divine, by giving him a nature but a little short of the divine, meaning a little less than the angels, a little less than God himself, has put on him a crown of glory such as thou hast given to no other creature. There is no other thing in creation, no other animal, plant, anything that has the same crowning that you have. You are valuable. And you need to understand that. And so many people don't know their value. You are valuable. God sees your worth because you are crowned with a unique glory. To be honest, this is why sin is so destructive. This is the true destructive power of sin in our lives. Not just personal sin now, but going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. People think about that and they think, man, all they did was eat some fruits and God cursed all of mankind. That's a little extreme. That's a little bit of a, I mean, come on. They ate some fruits. What's the big deal? It's because we, we don't understand God's perspective on the destructive nature of sin and how quickly it destroys what God created Sin is so destructive because it perverts what God created and robs us of the fullness that we were created to be. When Christ sets us free to know who we are, he restores the image sin tried to rob from us. And we can know who we are and we were created and we were crowned with his glory. In today's day and age, human life is considered less valuable than animals, plants, the ozone... Humanity is not, is not important. Uh, we'll, we'll sacrifice humans, but save a whale. Uh, we'll murder babies, but we'll make sure that plant that's been almost extinct stays in that habitat. It's just, it's a, sin is so perverting what God created. Yeah, save the whale, whatever. I, it's fine. I, it doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is this. Understand what God created you to be. And God says, no, no, mankind is my crowning creation. Because why? Because mankind reflects the image of God. It has the image of God, and therefore it brings glory to God. And so we are given the image of God so we can reflect his glory. Quickly, uh, we have been set free by the truth to know who we are, but we have also been set free by the truth to follow. We've been set free by the truth to follow. First, now we can follow Christ. We can follow Christ. We are now able to follow the person of Christ and fulfill that purpose we were created for in this life. Christ is our example and the one who keeps us, prays for us, speaks to the Father for us, mediates between God and man. Christ is the one that died for us. Christ is the one that rose for us. And now in Christ, I know who I am. I'm created and I am crowned with God's glory. And now in Christ, understanding those things, now I can follow Christ. And in so following Christ, I can fulfill the purpose I was created for. And I've said this so many times, but I feel like we need to keep reminding ourselves of this because I know I need to be reminded of it. You were not created to have a safe, comfortable, perfect little life in a perfect little neighborhood with perfect little children. Perfect little bank account. Everything's perfect. Little picket fence. Do they do picket fences anymore? I don't know. I would hate a picket fence. It's like it's not even a fence. You can see through it. Like put a privacy fence up. you are going to put a fence up. When you think about that idea, though, we have this mindset of life that it's just about trying to make us as happy as possible. There's so many, but God wouldn't want me unhappy, pastor. Man, are you so sure about that? Maybe he wants you to have joy in him, which may lead you into seemingly unhappy circumstances at times in your life. Man, we have to be so careful. We don't begin to believe this cultural mindset that Christianity is actually all about us. What did Billy Graham say? Christianity is Christ. And we can follow him. And if he leads us to this mission field or that mission field, or he leads us to talk to our neighbor, or he says, I actually want you to grow in me. I actually want you to take some risks in life and go serve me. I want you to actually think that I'm the most important thing in your life. Colossians says that he isn't a part of our life. He is life. See, we are now set free to follow Christ, to understand what we were created to do that may bring great blessings financially, that may bring great peace in some areas in your life as far as your circumstances, or it may cause you to sell everything you own And move to a foreign field because you just have a love for these people that need Christ. Now, I don't know what it's always going to look like. I don't think we need to know what it's going to look like. We need to know what God, or rather who God is in our lives, and follow Christ where he leads. Before we knew Christ, we were left to follow self, which leaves us empty. But now we can follow him, which leaves us full. Remember, follow me was the call of Christ to his disciples. And it is the true results of belief in Christ. So much more than believe in me, Jesus said, follow me. He did say, believe on me. And and if you believe and trust in Christ, you are saved. That's the basis of salvation. But a result of that salvation is to follow. And he says, follow me. and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me and watch me do what I can do through you through an imperfect life that's full of problems, yes, but one that if turned to me, I can do great things. Man, we are free by the truth of Christ's gospel to follow Christ. But we're also free by the truth to follow His word. Second Timothy chapter 3. Go all the way over to New Testament, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We spent some time on this actually on Wednesday nights um, the last couple of weeks, talking about the power of God's word, what God's word can do and is in our lives. Um, I want to go there again this morning and just encourage our hearts to know that we can follow His word. Second Timothy chapter three. We're on all the way back in the New Testament. Uh, 2 Timothy is the last letter of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. Uh, he calls him his son in the faith. He's a convert of, of Paul, or not a convert, but uh, somebody he led in the ministry and, and mentored in the ministry. Timothy was a convert of his uh, mother and grandmother that seemingly raised him up in the scriptures and taught him these things. And so uh, when you see this understanding of this, there's a relationship here that's quite strong. And uh, it's one that Paul loves Timothy. And Timothy's a young pastor, and he's pastoring these churches, and Paul writes some encouraging words to him. And I want to look at 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, it's interesting to note that Chapter 4 is where Paul opens up and kind of gives like his final remarks. These are his last words. And before he gets into his kind of final words to Timothy, he gives one last encouragement about the power of the Word of God. He says, All Scripture is given by inspiration or breathed out of God and is profitable. It's profitable not because it does these things. It is profitable because it is the Word of God. God breathing it out makes it profitable, and we see that evidenced in these areas of doctrine, correction, reproof, instruction in righteousness so we may know what, how to live this life. And as a result of following his word, what's the result? That the man of God may be perfect, not perfect, sinless, perfect, mature, complete, thoroughly furnished, meaning we are equipped, we're ready and able to do what God has called us to do. We can now understand the word of God as more than just an ancient religious text, but as a living and active word that leads and guides us through our life. But I want to be honest for a moment here because maybe you've found a frustration that some have found when they've really begun studying the Word of God or living this Christian life for a period of time. If we're honest, we have all struggled with the reality, hear me now, that the Bible does not specifically address every single issue we go through in this life. Let me explain. Because you might say, no, 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 everything, everything we go through, it's in this book. Everything we need is in this book. Let me, let me just give you some practical examples, and hopefully you'll see where I'm going with this. Finances are all throughout the Bible. It talks a lot about money. But if you're sitting there like, do I do a 401k or do I not do a 401k? What about Social Security? How does that play out? And we go to the Bible. Is there a specific verse about 401ks in the Bible where God says, thou shalt have a 401k? No. If you're journeying with someone that is battling cancer or a terminal disease, there are tons of verses about hope and healing. But there is no passage that deals specifically with cancer, that tells you specifically, verse by verse, if thou hast cancer, do these things. If thou hast cancer, here's how God feels about it. The Bible has a lot to say about parenting to some degree, but if you're raising teenagers, there's not a lot in the Bible about teenagers. There should be a whole section on teenagers. <laughs> Call it persecuted or not listened to, chapter 1. Okay? Sufferings and trials, yes. But you can't go to a pastor and go, okay, in, in Galatians 2, it says, if you have a teenager, do that. Let me tell you, as a teenager or a young person here that you're single, uh, we used to tell our teens this all the time. If you're dating, there aren't, there aren't verses on dating in here. We try to make verses seem to be about dating. And there's principles, sure, but there's no specific passage about as a 17-year-old, male or female, how do you begin a dating relationship? What is, the culture was so different. There wasn't dating in this culture then as far as we know it today. And so now we're left with, where well, there's no specific verse. And so we get frustrated because then we feel, well, then the, book, the Bible isn't able to do what the pastor said it would do. The Bible isn't able to do what, what I was told it was going to gonna do in my life. I don't have a specific leading for every single word or every single moment in my life. But what if this book is able to do so much more than that? What if this book is able to do so much better than any how-to book on any of these topics? What if this book isn't meant to be a manual for everything you go through in life, but what if this book is supposed to be something more? What if this book is supposed to transform your life to look more like the life of Jesus Christ, to enable you to walk in step with the Spirit of God who will lead you, live in you, and guide you in the midst of every single circumstance you come across in daily life? What if the point of this book isn't a how-to manual on every area in life, but what if this book is more about me getting alone with this book, and this book transforming me from the inside out to think more like Christ, to live more like Christ, to talk more like Christ, and through that as we come into situations that don't have specific verses, I'm able then to be led by the Spirit of God and to make decisions based on the principles in this book because I'm in tune to the things of God. I mean, what that's maybe the point of this book. And so, if you've tried reading the Bible in certain situations and you think, man, this doesn't do anything for me, I'm not getting the specific answer, don't give up, don't quit, don't think it's useless. Rather, decide today I'm going to commit to giving myself to the Word of God and to follow the Word of God, to be led by the Word of God. The truth is that truth never stands alone, it is always affirmed as truth in our lives by the way it is lived out in our lives. I can make a truth claim, but until it is real and practical in my life, it is merely words. Allow the truth of Christ to be more than words we say or read on a page. Let them be words that set you free, that bring freedom in your life to live the life that God has purposed. Not only are we set free by the truth of Christ to know who we are and to follow, Christ and his word, we are set free to love, to love ourselves in the correct sense Because we understand our worth and value, and also we are free to love others, because as followers of Christ and His Word, we are filled with compassion for others. This includes the family of believers in the church, but also those that are lost and have no shepherd. You see, as we know we're created and crowned and we're living in that purpose, following Christ and his word, now I will understand what it is to love myself in an appropriate sense, not beating myself for not being perfect and not overly promoting myself as though I'm better than everyone else, but in an appropriate sense, knowing that I am created and loved, but I equally needed grace just like everyone else. And that will lead then to loving others. Because as I'm following Christ and his word, it's evident that God loves others, that Christ had compassion on the lost. He was moved with compassion because they were sheep having no shepherd. So we too are moved then with compassion and love for others. So I want to ask a simple question as we get ready to close and have a time of just simple invitation. I would ask you, are you living free? You don't need to answer out loud, but are you living free? Have you believed the truth of Christ and allowed it to lead you to follow Christ and his word. Are you living free today? See, some people think that the more self-centered we live and the more sin-centered we live, that that creates more freedom. You know, this Christianity thing creates a lot of rules, boundaries. I can't do this and I can't do that, I can't do this. Anywhere God says not to do something, it's because if you do it, it will actually cause you more hurt than pleasure. Parents, you know this grandparents, you know this. If you've struggled in addiction, if you've struggled in areas of sin where you've tried to get victory from it, you found out, man, I thought this would give me something. I thought this would lift me up. I thought this would make me feel safe. I thought this would bring me joy. I thought this would bring me pleasure. And it does for a season. And then all of a sudden, now the consequences come. We talked about the Bible doesn't have a lot to say about dating, but it does have a lot to say about relationships as far as if you're here today and you are not married, you have no business putting your hands on a man or a woman. I'm not talking about aggression. I'm talking about intimacy. If you're here and you're in a dating relationship, you need to make sure that you're putting boundaries there. Why? Not because God doesn't want you to enjoy certain aspects of a relationship, because if you give in to premarital sex, I promise you, it's not even me. It's even more than God's word because it's truth to culture. I promise you, you will experience devastation in your relationship to some degree. Well, no, 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 no. We, we did that and we were fine. Really? there was no emotional baggage from that? Anyone else you've been with that you broke up with after being intimate with them, there was no emotional baggage there? Man, I'm telling you, these kind of things we have to think about. Truth is inclusive, and it's not always popular. But I'm telling you, anywhere God says, this is the boundary, it's because he's saving you from hurt. It's not about robbing you of joy, and that's what I'm telling you. When we walk in that truth and we live in that truth, man, the freedom and the joy is overwhelming, because I don't have the fear, I don't have doubts or confusion. I know that I'm safe in the truth. And so I want to encourage you today. Are you free? Do you know Christ? Has he set you free in these things? Are you enjoying the relationship with him, following him and his word, knowing who you are? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right there where you are. And as the, the praise band comes and leads us in a song of invitation, here's what I want to ask you this morning someone in this room, maybe, maybe you don't really believe you're valuable. Like, you don't really think you're worthy of God's love. It's true that we've sinned, and we've broken His law, and we, we don't deserve grace, we don't deserve mercy, but He sees you as valuable because He created you. And so here's what I want to do this morning. If you're here, as, we're, as you're there praying, and we're going to have a time of reflection, maybe you would come in just a moment and just bend a knee and say, God, thank you for calling me valuable because my family doesn't see me as valuable. My friends don't think I'm valuable. I don't believe I'm worth anything. I think I'm, I feel like I'm nothing sometimes. Maybe because of past mistakes, maybe because of just how you were raised, you don't really see yourself as valuable. Maybe you would come and just bend a knee and say, God, would you remind me of who I am? I need to know that and thank you for calling me valuable. Maybe there's somebody here that is feeling a leading to follow Christ and his word in one area of your life and you know that you're, you're denying it. You're, you're quenching the spirit in that area. Maybe you'd come and say, God, I'm, I'm done. I'm surrendering to you. I thought these other things would bring me pleasure, but they're really just pulling me away and causing issues in my life and my relationships. Maybe you'd come and say, God, I need to follow you so I can live the purpose I was created for. Whatever it is that God is doing, we just want you to respond. Father, would you bless now this time of invitation. May you draw those that need to make decisions. Maybe there's somebody here, Lord, that doesn't know you as their savior. They know, they have the knowledge, I should say, of of what the gospel is, but they never received it for themselves. I pray, Lord, that you would do a work in their heart and minds. Holy Spirit, I pray that you convict them of sin and righteousness. I pray that they would know your love for them and your grace for them, that you died on the cross for their sins you were buried in a tomb for their sins and you rose again for them. And if they would trust in you, putting their faith and trust in you alone, then you can save them from their sins for all of eternity. And when we leave this world, we have a guaranteed home with you. Father, may we know that the result of our sin, if we die in our sin apart from Christ, is separation from you in a place called hell. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to know your love for us is greater than any sin. And so whether it's somebody needs to come this morning to just just thank you for being, uh, for knowing that you consider them valuable. Maybe somebody wants to come and maybe rededicate an area of their life or surrender in some way. But maybe there's somebody here that needs to trust you this morning for the very first time. Father, in all these things, would you be glorified? Would you lead us and guide us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Uh, Our our invitation time is very simple. If you want to come and just bend a knee in the front, just take some time apart. Maybe you and Your family, you and your wife, your husband. As an individual, you want to come and just reflect and pray and say, God, thank you for this, or whatever God is doing there in your seats or here in the altar, whatever God is doing, would you respond to him this morning as we pray?